Allow me to tell you about Desmond Doss. Desmond Doss was born in Virginia in the United States on the 7th of February 1919. And Desmond was raised as a Seventh-day Adventist, so uh, had a very religious background and upbringing. And he entered military service, joined the US Army on April the 1st, 1942, uh, at the beginning of, or very early on, in World War II. Because of his, uh, his personal beliefs, um, because of some things that happened in his background, uh, even though he'd signed up to, to join the military and was enlisted in military service, he refused to kill any enemy soldiers to the extent that he refused to carry a weapon into combat. He uh, managed to, eventually he found himself serving as a medic, which he felt would provide him with that opportunity to have a meaningful way of, of contributing, a meaningful way of serving, uh, but ena enabling him to not have to carry a weapon into combat with him. Uh, he was labelled as a conscientious objector, although by his own definition he preferred to call himself a conscientious cooperator, in the sense that he was still wanting to play his part, he was still wanting to support his uh, fellow countrymen, he was still wanting to serve his country, but he had the, um, this sense in his, in his beliefs and, and what he felt uh, to be true, in that he wouldn't be one that would, that would uh, contemplate uh, carrying a weapon or killing any of the enemy's soldiers. Dos served in Guam, in the Philippines, and in Okinawa, in Japan. Now I could tell you how many wounded infantrymen he saved, I could tell you which awards and decorations he received for his service, but this would only tell you so much about this man. Now in Okinawa, where he saw combat, the area in which Dos found himself was known as Haxel Ridge. And it's Doss's story that is told in the film Haxel Ridge that came out just a few years ago. And that's, that's the, his story that the film is based upon. Now a couple of weeks ago, James and I uh, actually watched the film. Uh, and it was a sort of film that at the end, I don't know how James felt, but I, it was one of those, I'm like, I don't really know what to say. I don't know how to, almost what is an appropriate way to start a conversation after having seen what we've just seen and what we've witnessed. You see, having watched the story unfold, having understood more about this man's background, having understood more about what was important to him, having understood more and seen more about what it took for him to enlist and the challenges he faced and the battles he faced to be accepted, uh, even the, battle, the battles he faced in terms of being able to serve, because there were people who didn't want him around. But having watched the whole story unfold, I was struck by this man's courage, his bravery, his love, and his dedication to God. And even in the weeks following, I'm still stirred when I, when I think about it. It still has an effect on me now, all these weeks later. There's something that has really impacted me about being able to, to see this man's story being told and being unfolded. And the reason I'm saying this is because story is such a powerful tool to connect with people. We could talk about facts. We could talk about Desmond Doss's uh, awards and decorations he received. But as I said, it would only tell you so much. But until you hear or see his story being unfolded, I don't think you're ever going to be able to connect with who this guy was and actually what it took for him to achieve what he did. But being able to understand his story impacts you in such a more powerful way, and I've found in a much more lasting way. And this morning, it's story that we're going to be thinking about. And this is our second week in our new series that we've called 
creative. And in this series, we're going to be exploring faith, creativity, and art. And last week really served as uh, kind of an introduction to the series. And we looked of, uh, as our starting place was really the way that we're introduced to God in the scriptures. The first thing we hear of who God is is that he's revealed to us as a creator. In the beginning, God created. That's the first introduction we have to him. And then those of us, uh, for, for us as, uh, as men and women and children, we've been made in his image. And because we've been made in, in the image of the creator, we have ability to imagine, to feel, and to create. And when we create, we, ref- we reflect the mind of the one who made us. We also uh, spent a bit of time thinking about how the Bible speaks highly of those with artistic gifts, how these gifts are, are, are God-given, but used to bring him glory. They, they can be used in ways that would honour him and to bring him glory and to serve those, those around us as well, to serve our neighbours. For those of you who find that you communicate and express yourself in creative ways, we also spent a bit of time thinking about how we should know that what we do has the potential to honour God when we use the gifts that he's given us. There's actually an opportunity to honour him through using those. And then our final thought of last week really was how, as Christians, we can, we, there's a potential that we can fall into a trap of thinking that for art or creativity to have value, it has to point people to Jesus and kind of overtly and clearly do that. But actually, art has value in and of itself. It doesn't have to have a certain utility. It doesn't have to have a practical function. Art in and of itself is an expression of, uh, of what God has put within us. Uh, and it can, I think we were looking at how there's the potential to create, but there's also potential to enjoy the beauty of what has been created as well. So it's such a powerful uh, uh, outworking of an, an expression of what is going on in our lives and what we're trying to communicate um, and for something for us to enjoy as well. Now next week, James is going to be speaking on music. Uh, please do be praying for him through the week as he prepares. Particularly, it's, it's half term, so technically in his job he should have a week off. But James is travelling around the country, getting involved uh, in a lot of the make lunch kitchens that are going on, taking the Rocksteady Music School that he works for. They're going into the make lunch uh, kitchens that are opening. I think you're travelling as far as Ipswich this week, so it's a fairly busy week for James. So please do be praying for him uh, as you know a week where most people at his work may be resting. Uh, he's actually got a lot going on and then he's preaching at the end of the week, blessing us and serving us in that way. So please do hold him in your prayers. But today, so we're thinking about music next week, uh, but today our focus is on story. So why story? Why have we felt in this series that we should talk about story? And our starting point is this, is because we all tell ourselves a story to make sense of things. We all tell ourselves a story to make sense of things. A few years ago, I was doing uh, some training through the church called Lead, and one of the uh, one of the sessions we did was by was run by a guy named Dan Hater. He's up at uh, Revelation Church in London, and we it, it, that the the two days we did was um, sessions called the Drama of Scripture. So we pretty much covered the whole of the the Bible, the whole of the the Bible story in two days. It was a lot to cover but it was really really excellent to be able to get that broad sweep of the whole of scripture seeing how the whole story fits together and at the same point where we then fit into it as the church and um, the where 
where Dan had started with these sessions was to say, he got us thinking, he said, what gives the most effective explanation of the idea of love? And he read out the Oxford Dictionary of English, which says this, it says, love, a noun, a strong feeling or affection. So that's one way we could try and understand what love is. Or he said, what if we were to look at the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15? The story about how this son goes to his father, asks for his inheritance early, effectively saying, do you know what, you're worth more to me dead than alive. And then the son goes off, does his own thing, squanders his money, ends up in a, a really desperate situation, gets to the point where he feels, I just need to go home. Even if, even if all I can do is just serve in my father's household, I can't carry on the way I am. And then we see this expression of love when the son returns home. It's not just that the father finds him a place to serve. The father serves a massive, massive party and welcomes him back in. And the point Dan was making is actually what gives us a better explanation of what love is. That biblical definition, or as we see the story of the prodigal son, are we able to grasp that concept of love in a fuller and truer way? Because story is powerful. And he went on to say that people generally prefer stories to abstract principles, in part because stories are more engaging. But I reckon a deeper sense is that we are hardwired for stories because we are actually part of the biggest, most dramatic story ever. That's the story of God's story to fill the earth with his glory. So in that sense, we're hardwired to engage with story. We're hardwired to enjoy story uh, and to really be able to connect with story because we are part of a story, because we are part of God's story. And story uh, can take many forms. It can be told through many types of, of uh, through many different mediums, through many different types of media. And what, the reason I have a whiteboard here is because I want your uh, help this morning, a bit of your involvement, just to, to tell me some ways, uh, different types of form or different types of media that can be used to tell stories. And we'll see how much of this board that we can fill up. So if anyone would like to suggest ways, kind of different mediums or maybe even different types of, of story uh, that enable us to communicate. So don't be shy. Uh, I'm not gonna, not gonna give too much of this morning over to it. So just give, me, give me some ideas. Film. Film. Yep, anyone else? Radio. Radio. Storytelling. Storytelling. Books. Oh, yeah, I do need a secretary, you're right. Um, did someone say uh, games? Video games? Plays? Poetry? Music? I knew you'd say that one, Steve. <laughs> Photography? I knew you'd say that one, Karen. <laughs> Sport. Let's put photo. Sport. Tell a story. Yeah. Dance. Dance. I feel like I've missed one that's been shouted out. Testimony. Testimony. So yeah, excellent. So personal story. Architecture. Art. Yep. 
anything. You should have said that first, and then I wouldn't have had to write all this, would I? Um, anything else? Social media. Gardening. Gardening. <laughs> Sorry. Detective novel. Novel, so we got books. Well, wow, that's different. All right. <laughs> I won't argue. Um, right. Children's books. Yeah? Right. Hopefully, my point has been made uh, in that story can be told in many forms. There's many ways of expressing story, many creative forms. If you were to look at that list, there'll be some that you will connect with more than others. Some ways that will impact you more than others. So story, there's a, a great variety and abundance in the way that we can communicate story. We could have actually gone on for much longer, but I was already hearing people suggest that I've not prepared anything for this morning and this was all I was going to do. Um, but it's helpful for us to understand this, and we'll, we'll touch on some of this a little bit later on. Next thing I want you to do, share with someone near to you a favourite story of yours. Just very briefly, share, um, don't tell them the story, but tell them uh, what your favourite story is. And then also think about what is it about this story that makes it a particular favourite? Why this over others? Is it the message that it conveys? Is it the, the way that it's been expressed? Does it connect with your emotions in some way? So, uh, again, we're not going to take too long. We'll spend a couple of minutes. Uh, so just share with someone near to you about your favourite story. What is it that makes it a favourite? If you could be drawing those conversations to close, maybe they could be something that we pick up on at the end of the meeting. But there'll be certain stories that will connect with us in ways that other stories don't. And just coming back to the point I made right near the start is that story is a powerful tool that connects with people. Here are some thoughts as to why they, that might be the case. This is not an exhaustive list by any means. There'd be many reasons why uh, they're powerful tools. But these are just some that I've, I've come across and some things I've been thinking about as I've been preparing for today. And one is that sometimes everyday speech doesn't allow us to convey meaning. In the sense that sometimes it's not always, some things are just not easy to, to define. In a, in a concise and straightforward way. But story enables us uh, to bring abstract principles into real life application. To be able to connect with something that any other way we just might not be able to convey what we're trying to. It enables people to grasp and understand concepts and ideas and story can bring clarity and understanding. Stories are they're multi-sensory in the sense that they enable us to feel and to be drawn in. When I was watching that film with James the other week, it was, it was a bit of a bombardment almost of the senses, but it, it enabled you to connect in real ways and to connect with the emotion of what, of what was going on at that time and for the people involved. Because they engage our being, our emotions, they grab our attentions. It's more than... <coughs> stories do more than just teaching our brains. It engages the whole being. Of someone. It's more than just bullet points or merely passing facts or information on. It engages us in a, in a different sort of way. Stories enable us to get to know someone, to build relationships, 
Telling and listening to stories is a key way in which we get to know people, right? Talking to my mum about this yesterday, and she was saying that she's actually just started uh, with, with the grandchildren, I think particularly with Lena, just being the older one, she's sharing some of the stories of her childhood, some of the stories about our family. But it's part of, of, of Lena understanding more of who her grandma is and being able to build and connect that relationship together. Stories are a huge part in that. And stories also, they cross culture, don't they? We're able to, to engage and communicate with, with different cultures and different settings and different nations. Stories have that ability to do that. That's why actually understanding the different, different media that can be used is helpful because different cultures communicate in different ways. But because stories are, are so... Uh, there's that flexibility and that variety in terms of the way that they're conveyed, but they do cross culture. Now, I want to re-emphasize something, a point I made last week, is that we will work out our creativity in many, many ways. It won't always be overtly Christian, but we are able to use our talents to give God glory and to bless our neighbor. And this is true of story and storytelling. Again, not just because it carries an overtly Christian message in it, but in any form of story can be used to, to give God glory. Steve Dunn, who leads the church, uh, Beacon Church, in Herm Bay, he's actually coming to speak on the 25th of this month. He's doing something on film. And Steve, I don't know if you know this about Steve, he is a, an author as well. He's written quite a few books. But his books aren't Christian books. He writes fiction. But for him, it's an expression of being able to use the gift that God has given him. So actually in him writing these books, which are, don't, as far as I'm aware, don't carry any particular Christian message. But he's able to, to bless others through the gift that God has given him. And then I was thinking as well of, of um, uh, we, we got Barbara in our church. And in the summer, we did a storytelling and craft afternoon for, for kids in town. And Barbara was, through the gift that she's got of storytelling, she was, there were some biblical stories in there. But there was also a wide variety of stories. But it was a real blessing to the children and the families that were there. Some of it was anti-Barbara, she's saying. So she's using that gift and that passion that God's given her, but it didn't have to be an overtly Christian thing, but actually using the gifts that she has was a blessing. Now, story is a huge area to cover. Uh, I won't have any way near enough time to say everything I could, but for the rest of our time this morning, we're going to look at story biblically, in the sense we're going to look at what, what the Bible shows us about the purpose and power of story how we're to engage with the story that the Bible unfolds, and also to consider how we, how we can share that same story. But I trust that there's going to be principle and ideas that will carry over to story and storytelling in all contexts. If that's how you, if, if you feel actually I've got a bit of a passion or, or are wanting to get involved in story, a new story or storytelling, I hope there are principles and ideas here that will carry over. But if we're thinking uh, at what the Bible would show us uh, and what the Bible would tell us about storytelling, our starting point is this, is that God has chosen narrative to communicate who he is and what he's like. The Bible, God's story, it, it is a story, it's a narrative that unfolds. This is the way that God has chosen to communicate to us. It's the way that God has chosen to, uh, in part, to reveal who he is. Not just who he is, but what he's like, but then also who we are, 
and our identity in him, as Mike was mentioning earlier, about joy. It comes from our identity of who we are. But it's been unveiled to us through narrative. Because the Bible tells and unfolds God's story. Now in the Western culture in which we live, often, across many areas, areas of life, meetings and lessons can be filled with bullet points and abstract ideas. I don't know if you can, can connect with that. But often, that's a lot of the way in which communication happens in different settings. Meetings or teaching or classroom settings or whatever it may be. Actually, in the, in the, the, the context we're in, quite a lot of it, particularly the, the, the older we get and outside of, outside of school, these things can be filled with bullet points and abstract ideas. But not so much story is used. Tim Keller he says that it's important to remember that the gospel is a story and not a set of bullet points. I found that very helpful. The gospel, the story, the good news of Jesus is not a list of bullet points. It is a story that unfolds to us, that we're told. And the gospel is the good news of Jesus telling us how those who were enemies of God can now become friends of God. Be grafted into his family. So the gospel is a story that we've been invited into. Isn't that wonderful? The gospel story, this good news of Jesus, is a story that we've been invited into. And stories, actually, one of the, the, one of the aspects of story that is powerful is that it, it encourages people and it draws people in to participate. Have you ever noticed that about story? It just engages people in a way that they participate with it. There's a guy named Robert Jensen, and he says that the stories of the Bible invite us to partake in their reality. Because stories elicit participation. That's what they do. So the fact that the Bible is, is, a, is a story in and of itself, it invites us to take part in the reality of what they tell us and the reality of what they convey to us. So God has chosen narrative to communicate who he is and what he's like. And then we also see the importance of story through Scripture for God's people. In the sense that there's a call in Scripture to pass on God's story from generation to generation. If you turn, if you've got your Bibles, if you turn to Psalm 78, it will come up on the screen as well. But if you've got it, it would be great for you to be able to follow on. You see, when there's a call for stories to be handed down. A call to tell the coming generation of who their God is, of who they are, of what their history is, of what their walk with God is like. So in Psalm 78, just read the first four verses, it says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings uh, from of old. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but to tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. See, story, it enables the people, particularly in this context, telling the next generation, the generations that are, that are to come, it tells them who they are. It tells them where they've come from. It tells them what they're a part of. It tells them what their God is like. What God has done for them in the past. 
And then Psalm 48, if we, 78, if we were to carry on from those first four verses, it goes on to recount events from Israel's past. It said that these are the things that are to be passed on from generation to generation. This is the story that you're not to lose. It's not to fade away and to be forgotten. Actually, it's important because it, it enables us to keep a sense of our identity, of who we are, of why we've been called, of what God has done for us. Then in Joshua 4, um, so this is... Uh, when the people have been freed from Israel, been wandering in the desert, and then they finally crossed the River Jordan. And at the start of Joshua chapter 4, it says, When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, and out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each one of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off, before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And when it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. So you can see again this whole real emphasis that God, a God-given emphasis and priority of the importance of passing on from generation to generation. These stories are not to be forgotten, not to fade away, but they are to be remembered. It's of utmost importance to the extent in this example, God's saying, lay these memorial stones so that when you are asked what they are for, then you can share the story of what happened in God bringing them into this new land. We can still do this today, though, by sharing stories of what God has been doing in our lives. Because the story continues. Now, so we've got the importance of story. Passing on from generation to generation. But then when we look at Jesus, Jesus was the master storyteller. I think I said that last week. He uses narrative, metaphors, parables to engage his listeners and to communicate truth. Sometimes, particularly when he was speaking with scholars and scribes, people that understood the scriptures, when he was talking to them, he would speak using scriptures because that was the way they understood it. That was the way that he would connect with them. That was the way in which he would engage with them. But to the everyday crowds, if you look, he didn't often use scripture. He used to speak in story as a way of engaging them and communicating with them. He often spoke in parables, and parables are stories that we used to teach or to illustrate a truth, not necessarily true stories. But again, it's this use of metaphor and story to be able to convey an abstract principle as such, but to be able to communicate it in a way that people would be able to understand. And in Matthew 13, we have a, we have a whole chapter of parables where Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God, if we're talking about abstract sort of concepts and abstract ideas, then the kingdom of God is one because it's hard to, un it's hard to understand. It's hard to get our head around exactly what the kingdom of God is is like or might be like and the disciples ask Jesus in this chapter why are you speaking in parables why are you talking to the crowds in this way and then in chapter 13 verse 11 it says that when the disciples came to him uh, they came and said to him why do you speak to them in parables Jesus answered them 
To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not been given. For the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, uh, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. With their ears they can hardly barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are you, uh, sorry, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, your ears for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what we see, did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. And then if we jump to chapters, third, uh, he then, Jesus then goes on to, to tell another three parables, and then in verse 34 he says, All these things Jesus said to the crowd in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. So parables enable people to hear and to engage things that ordinarily they might not be able to understand. Jesus is saying for the disciples, look, you, you can hear what I'm saying. You understand. I don't need to talk to you in stories because I can share these things with you about the kingdom and you understand. But for others, they, they don't see it for whatever reason. Either they, they can't comprehend it or their hearts are so hard that they cannot see it. But in using parable, it opens up another way of communicating and another way of sharing. It takes these abstract principles but communicates them in a different way. So we've got these stories that almost teach a lesson. So we see that Jesus using parable as a way of being able to, to communicate, to be able to, to share and to teach. And stories, using parables as perhaps an example, stories provide a way for truth to be passed on. What a, a guy named Paul, Paul Kohler says, Jesus' use of oral methods, so storytelling, not only enables everyone to learn it, it also ensured that everyone could teach it. So it's a way of being able to understand, but it's a way of being able to pass on what you've been taught and what you've learned. Now last week, I shared a, a, a bit of a point, I said I'd come back to it this week, that says that, that about how the Bible unfolds the story of God, if we look at it proportionally, a lot through narrative and poetry, and there's a relatively small proportion being overtly instructional. And in an article by a guy called Colin Harbinson, he observes that in our retelling of the same story, so in our retelling of the, the story that the Bible would teach us, we've reversed the biblical pattern. He says that today an estimated 10% of our communication is designed to capture the imagination of the listener, while 90% is purely instructive. So I found that quite a challenge. Now people might disagree with the figures that he used, but I think his point is, is a good one, his observation is a good one. Actually, we spend fairly little time, and not just in the context of the church, but generally we spend very little time capturing the imagination of people and a lot of time trying to instruct them. Whereas actually, if we look at the, the structure of the Bible, it's very much the other way. Now, I'm not saying that, we're, that, I'm not saying that there's not a place for instruction. I'm not, it's not a throwing out the baby with the bathwater thing. I think they're actually, what we, we need to look for is a balance of both that there is instruction, 
there is that sense of, of that sort of teaching, but then there's also understanding the story as a whole and looking at the creative ways in which it can be communicated. With teaching and theology in the West, we often tend to zoom in. I don't know if you've noticed that. We tend to zoom in and look at the detail and look at, keep the focus fairly tight and small on certain subjects. But biblical stories are big stories. Dave Devnish, um, who I mentioned earlier this year, he shared a lot of stuff at Elders and Wives Weekend in November last year that had really stuck with me. And he says, bearing in mind, he is in a, in a lot of countries, in a lot of different cultures, in a lot of different settings, but he says now, how, he predominantly now teaches through telling stories. That's the, the approach that he's taken. And his observation is that we can go straight, we can go straight for the point of the story. That's the way that we work in cultures like ours. We can just, what is the point of what the story is trying to tell us? We want to get to that bit. But he was saying, actually, we need to make sure that we don't forget that stories have a beginning and stories have an end as well. And we need to be able to have time and, and focus to be able to look at the stories as a whole and not just go for what's the point of what's going on here. So actually, let's look at the bigger picture. Because the details of a story are so poignant. The details of the story are very important and carry lots for us to be able to learn the things that can teach us. So while teaching and theology in the West, we can tend to zoom in, but oral learners are the opposite. They often tend to zoom out rather than zoom in. So people from cultures of, of storytelling uh, and, and learn through, through spoken word and communication, they often tend to zoom out. People from these types of cultures, they need the backstory. They need the context to be able to make sense of what is happening. And another observation I came across is that we need to know where we came from to understand where we are. And there is a, that's why, again, that's why story is so powerful, because it enables us to understand the where have we come from, to understand where we are. But perhaps in the, in the cultures we find ourselves, we're so focused on the zooming in, we don't often get the context of it, which is vitally important. Now, like I'm saying, this, I'm, I'm kind of just sharing some stuff that's going through my mind here. I'm still trying to work this out myself. I think there is a place for that kind of theology where we're like, actually, let's get to grips with certain things and spend time working it through. But I also feel maybe we need to, to take a step back sometimes and zoom out and look at the bigger picture rather than just solely looking at the... Does that make sense? What I'm trying to there's a really excellent website that I've come across called Share the Story. And um, it's headed up by a guy named Sam Poe. He leads, he's um, really involved in New Frontiers in the United States. And what Share the Story is doing, that, I don't know if you've heard of a thing called chrono Chronological Bible Story. This is what their focus is on, Chronological Bible Story. And if you look on their website, they've got some videos on there that are really helpful. And they were saying that a Western literate mindset is not always effective. Actually, it's often ineffective in other settings and in other cultures. We need to understand people have different learning styles. People don't always learn in the same way that perhaps we will. If you were to go across the room here, there'd be a, again, you'd find different people learn in very different ways. And if that's within people who find themselves in, in the same sort of culture... Then if you go outside into other cultures and into different nations, there's even more of a need to understand the learning styles of the people that are there. And on their website, they share the story of a tribal group 
in West Africa. The missionaries went in and they were there for years. In 25 years, they saw just 25 converts baptised. The missionaries, they thought that it was a difficult... The conclusion they came to is this must be a difficult group to share the gospel with. Been there for 25 years, we've seen just 25 people. This must be a hard group to share the gospel with. Then some young converts who were from that particular tribe, they took the truths of the gospel, but rather than communicating them in the same way that the missionaries had, they, could, they converted them into chants. Chants are the way in which heritage stories were passed on and shared in their tribe. That was the way in which they understood who they were and where they'd come from. Before long, the message had spread throughout the tribe and a quarter of a million converts were baptised. The message didn't change, but the medium by which the message was shared did, and that made all the difference. And one of their observations on Share the Story is that actually... Even for us in the West, Western cultures are being described as increasingly post-literate now. So there is a real need, perhaps an urgency, for us to be thinking about different ways in which, the truth, in which we can share the truth of the gospel with people in an increasingly post-literate literate culture. Story is a powerful tool to connect with people. Our daughter... She's three, she, she's not literate, she can't read or write. But you know what? She can tell us stories that we've read or, or told her. She recites them back to us. I'm often amazed by her memory. I'm having to read these books that we've read so many times before and she's kind of not talking over me but sharing together, saying exactly the same thing as I am because it's stuck with her. These stories have stuck with her even though she can't read or write. There's a good opportunity for us to share good stories together. But it's also an opportunity for us to teach her, as for me and Steph, to teach our children through story. We tell all sorts of stories. We've got all sorts of books, all sorts of stories that we tell. But we've also got some really excellent books that tell her and teach her something of who God is in really creative sort of ways. We've got one book called The Good Artist. Uh, which, which talks of God as, as an artist who drew, cre- drew creation into being. And it takes her through this idea of, of, of sin, through people getting stained, but then being redrawn by the artist. They call it being drawn again. It's pretty, I thought that was quite clever. But it's just a story that she, she now can talk us through. So we're teaching her the truths of the gospel, but in a way that's really easy for her to, to, to access and to engage with. There's another book called You Are Special by Max Lucado. I don't know if people have seen this. It's a really wonderful book about uh, a toy maker and these toys who go around and they end up getting these spots on them as they go on through life and things that they carry, things that make them feel different from everyone else. And again, it speaks of the truth of the gospel, but in a way that's really accessible, the way that we can teach our children. Because story is a powerful tool to connect with people came across an article um, that was written by a lady named Abigail McFarthin and she, at some point in her life, she was teaching sixth grade in a, a little village in South Africa and she writes this, 
She says, how could I cultivate deep-seated loves that would transform their, their minds, their hearts and lives long after they finished school? The answer I found lies in stories. I began to read aloud to my students every day. In the sticky swelter of sleepy afternoons, when attention for math, I'd say maths, and spelling waned, I read The Lion, The Witch and The Wardrobe. Slowly, these Zulu students who had never seen snow were drawn into the always winter and never Christmas world of Narnia. The previously rowdy boys quieted as they heard of Peter, Susan, Edmund and Lucy. Flies buzzed by the windows, sweat trickled down my arms and off my elbows, and 25 pairs of eyes widened as the white witch raised her knife in, tri her knife in triumph. The day that I read of Aslan's death, the students were devastated. <coughs> what? He can't die! Little Precious looked like she was about to cry. I realised I'd have to read two chapters that day so I wouldn't send 25 children home with emotional trauma. When I read about Aslan coming to life again, the reaction was priceless. I knew Jesus' resurrection was good news, but I didn't realise quite how good until I saw my students' faces that day. It took some prompting to help them see how C.S. Lewis's fantasy story mirrored the gospel, but the penny finally dropped. We topped off the unit with a Narnia party and a showing of the recently released film. And I hope that the better than magic good news of Jesus stays in their memories wherever they are now. Let me finish with this. I've said this a few times throughout the course of the morning, but story is a powerful tool to connect with people. And whether we go to people in other nations and cultures or whether we go to people across the street, we have a story to tell. We have the story of God to tell. And there are many varied and creative ways in which we can do that. But part of that story will be your story. 1 Peter 3.15 says, In your hearts revere Christ as Lord, and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Now that, that letter, when it was being written, was to the church in, in terms of uh, how they're to cope with suffering and, and persecution. And actually in the midst of that, they're to be prepared to explain why they have hope. But actually, if, if we read it again, it says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason, give the reason for the hope that you have. And I, this came to mind again when I was thinking about uh, thinking about preparing for today. And then I went back to thinking about Jesus' model. Do you know what? To some people, Jesus went to the scriptures. To others, Jesus told stories. And it got me thinking, do you know what? Maybe one of the ways in which we can convey the reason for the hope that we have is by sharing some of our story with people. We might not feel that we're at a place where I could uh, communicate that through scripture. Or I wouldn't be able to necessarily be able to communicate that clearly through, uh, through sharing the gospel. But actually, your, your story will carry, if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, your story will carry the gospel within that. The story of how God has transformed your life and changed your life. So maybe your story is a way that you can convey some of the reason that you have hope. I want to encourage you to spend some time thinking about your story. Of what God has done or what he is doing. 
It might be the story of how you came to follow Jesus. It might be a story of something God has done. It might be a story of something that God is doing at the moment. But give yourself some time. Deliberately give yourself some time to thinking about your story. Craft your story so that it's ready for whenever you might need it. For if the opportunity presents itself to be able just to share with someone some of what your story is. And in doing so, tell him part of the bigger story as well. Shall we pray?